Good morning. Welcome. So glad you're with us today in our second service. I want to welcome those of you who join us online. We're so glad you're with us as well. If this is your first time with us, we especially want to extend a welcome to you. We're so glad you're here with us today. And uh, just want to encourage you that if you get a chance to fill out a card or a connection card and go to one of our um, foyers, and we have a gift for you, we'd love to give you. So anyway, we're just honored to have you here with us today. Well, we know it's a kind of a big day for some of us. Uh, there's about half of us. It's not a big day at all. You're rooting against. You're rooting against your brothers and your sisters in here. Um, let's just kind of see. I never know exactly what I have in this church, to be honest with you. So K-State fans first, you have a good football team. So let's do that. Will you raise your hands? We got football. Good KU doesn't have that. So it's kind of even. And then uh, we got double hands over here. Uh, let's do KU. Raise your hand. All right. So I think there's a few more KU today. K-State, guys, you have to work a little bit harder. You need to bring some more friends if you want to keep up. So uh, we're so glad you're with us today. And um, actually, I was so relieved to see that the powers that be uh, put out on the schedule that the game didn't start till 1.20. I was just thought, man, if it's 12 o'clock or that's just not right. So I'm 1.20, that's perfect, that's great. Gives us a chance to uh, be here this morning and less people, uh, you know. Anyway, a lot of you being here, that's great today. Final four, looking forward to it. We'll see what happens. Actually, as I'm thinking about our message series, you're new with us, we're in a series called Mark Matters. Um, really about an uninvited, um, often forgotten, uh, overlooked, and maybe you felt that way in your life. You're going to love Mark um, if this is your first time here. Uh, Mark is someone who wrote one of the four biographies of Jesus, one of the four gospels, or what we call good news. But he's really, he's the underdog in this story. You got Matthew and Luke and John. They're kind of the blue bloods. They're the North Carolina and the Dukes and the, and the, and uh, what's that other? Starts with a V, Villanova. We don't like those people. They beat us in different times. Um, KU, they're, they're kind of the big blue bloods, the big, the big dogs. That's what Mark, I mean, that would, what Matthew, Luke, and John would be, especially, you know, that Matthew and Luke, they got to, they got to write the, you know, the Christmas stories that we all love. John, you know, that's the place that people go to first as they go to John. Mark is kind of the last gospel that people go to. And uh, there's not a lot said about Mark himself in the Bible. There's just a few times that he's mentioned, and even in the gospel of Mark that he writes, which was really probably secondary. He's probably writing for, for Peter, sharing his story. He wasn't one of the, he was really um, kind of the underdog, the St. Peter's of the tournament. He was the Peacocks. We didn't know who the Peacocks were uh, a couple weeks ago. No one knew who the Peacocks were a couple weeks ago. Everyone knows who the Peacocks are today, and we love an underdog, and if your team's not in it, everyone's rooting for the Peacocks. And that's who Mark is. And so you can root for Mark. Uh, you may have felt like at times you've been the underdog. We can root for Mark. And today, um, Mark, uh, we're going to go into chapter, uh, chapter uh, 5 today is where we're at. So if you want to get ahead of me and join me, I want to ask you this question as you're going there, or maybe you join me up here. But I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had one of those days or one of those weekends or one of those weeks. Maybe you're having one of those days today and where there's just, there's needs being pressed on you on every turn and every corner, every side, and the demands are great on you. I mean, if you're the mother of a preschooler this morning, this is your life every day. 
Um, or Pastor Brandon, this, this last week, he was so busy. There were so many demands. He had a couple hundred students coming all over from the state of Kansas that were involved in all these competitions. He put a lot of work into it. Friday night was a great night. I forgot to mention this. Uh, he, he worked so hard. Uh, but it was all worth it when we saw about 30 kids give their lives to Jesus on Friday night. So it made it all worth it. And I know it made it worth it to him. And so, yeah, we absolutely celebrate that um, around here. But man, he was, he was tired and he got home at 1.30 in the morning Friday night, his little, you know, crews throwing up. And so, I mean, it's just, if it's not one thing, it was another. And I think last fall, there was a weekend where I did two funerals and a wedding. It sounds like the title of a movie, but it's not. It was real. It was, two, it was just one of those times and seasons that we all have. And Jesus was having one of those days. But of course, if we've read the Gospels like many of us you have or are familiar with it, we know that Jesus had one of those days every day because he was in high demand. There was needs all around him, and he was the one that could do something about it. And so uh, chapter 5 is just another day in the life of Jesus, but there's, it's starting off pretty fast, and there's a lot of things that take place. And so we start off chapter 5, verse 1. They, the disciples, went across. They is Jesus and the disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, your translation may say demon-possessed, but a, an impure spirit, a demon-possessed, came from the tombs to meet him. I want to stop right there and say, if you ever have a day that you wake up and there's someone coming out of the cemetery or the graveyard that's demon-possessed and he's coming right at you, you know that you're getting ready to have one of those days. I don't think any of us have had one of those days, but if that ever happens to you, run. Um, of course, Jesus, being who Jesus is, he doesn't go anywhere, but it kind of gets worse. It describes what this man did in verse 3. This man lived in the tombs. No one can bind him anymore. He'd gotten so bad, so out of control, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees and in front of him. And if that's you and me, we're running the other direction. I'm, I'm out of there. I'm going somewhere else. But he runs. He comes at the feet of Jesus. And at that point, Jesus does this. Jesus wants to do this. Or did you already move it there? You already did. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm just kind of blind up here today. My apologies. He shouted at the top of you. You snuck that in there when I didn't even get a chance to see it. So I blinked and boom, there it was. Miracle. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Now, I've been practicing that this week, and every time I do that, it sounds so weird and crazy, and I thought, if you're a first-timer here today, you're going, I'm about ready to leave if you do any more of that stuff. <laughs> Hang on. That's as weird as it gets. It's not going any crazier than that. But I, I kind of want to illustrate this, is sometimes we read the Bible, and we leave out how exciting it is. I mean, that it is, it is not a boring book, <laughs> because they didn't come up to Jesus, and these, the, the demons or whatever, they didn't come up and say, hey... 
My name's Legion. Welcome, Jesus, to the neighborhood. So glad you're here. You could join us today. He didn't get a good greeting. So I'm not going to do that again. Feels weird to do it twice. But my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And I'm thinking at this point, you may be thinking, this is a great story and all. What does it have to do with me? I doubt anybody in here is, I, you know, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I, I doubt anybody in here is demon-possessed. Any demon-possessed people out here you want to raise your hand, let us know, any demon? So I don't think there's anyone demon-possessed. Um, like we got a kid that's playing along. Just, I won't ask rhetorical questions anymore. Um, but I, I, I think that you may be thinking, well, I don't have this problem. This isn't something I deal with. It's not something my family deals with. Demon possession, maybe that's third world, that's other places we believe there are those things. But I can guarantee you this, that there are some of you in here today and some of you watching online, you may not have legions of demons, but you have legions of anxiety, legions of worry, legions of pain, maybe legions of addictions, of hurts and problems. They're consuming you. They're overwhelming you. And, and it, it feels like there's something that has taken possession of you because they are so great. And I'm thankful that in this story that Jesus, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we want to get through a lot today, but I'll just summarize the next few verses. Uh, Jesus, you know, commands this demons to come out. They go into these pigs. The pigs go off the side of a cliff. Um, and, and this man is restored to his right mind. He's made clear in his thinking. I mean, his life has changed. He's been set free. Not only physical chains, but the chains of his heart and his mind. He has been set free. And so you can imagine how excited you would be. It's, it's, it's what we celebrate when we're set free. It's what we celebrate in a few weeks when we have uh, on Easter Sunday, Baptism Sunday. And we already have about 10 signed up for baptism. And maybe you're ready to take that next step. It's going to be a great day that we celebrate lives that have been set free because of what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus has done for us. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But I want us to look at his response and I want us to look at his response in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demons-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, and he began to tell in Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Last week, Dustin, Pastor Dustin, did such an awesome job. He knocked it out of the park again. And he shared this, and one of the things that stood out to me is I watched the me a message from actually an airport last week. As I watched the message, as he, the main point I took away from that is that we like the mountaintops, we love it when we've been set free. We love baptism. We love when we've been forgiven. And, and, we, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural high, and, and it's an awesome feeling, and we love the mountaintop experiences. But as Pastor Dustin said last week, we're not called to stay on the mountaintops. We're called to go back into the messes. And sometimes God calls us back to the messes. A few weeks ago, we talked about how that God uh, does some of his best work 
in, in the valleys, in the valleys of our lives. Not the mountaintops, but he does some of his best work when we're in the wilderness and that we shouldn't waste our wilderness. And once again, this is, uh, this is reemphasized in here is that sometimes when we've been on the mountaintop, we want to stay there, but Jesus wants us to go back to the messes. And he wants us to go back to the valleys, not go back into that old life of sin, but to go back and tell people what God has done for them. That's how many of us came to know Jesus is because someone else told us what God had done for them. I think of my friend Tom, and uh, you've heard me talk about him these last several months and this last year. Uh, Tom is the one that I, the one time that you saw me wear a suit up here other than a funeral or a wedding, and I was here that day. And what you don't know is Tom actually requested of me that not only did he want to buy this suit for me, by the way, three suits I've owned in my life, Tom and Nancy bought two of the three. Uh, he wanted me to get up here and post a picture of what I normally preach in, and he wanted everyone to vote on what they would rather me be in. And I told him, I just can't do that because I don't know how the vote's going to go. <laughs> but I, out of honor for him, I wore the suit that day, and I wore his, that suit um, that he had planned for me to preach at his funeral on Monday. So we went to Sacramento. We were preaching the funeral. Man, it was such... You know, it's always sad, but when a believer that dies in the Lord, there's also this great celebration. His four daughters married to four law enforcement officers and his son and those 14 grandkids, story after story after story, telling what this 71-year-old man who had married his high school prom date, and he always introduced her as such, been married the last 50 years, um, was working on 51, um, how he would tell everyone what God had done for him. Just an average man, worked for over 30 years at PG&E, but the last four, five, six months, he'd lost strength, and so he liked to get out still, so they'd take him to the grocery store, but he couldn't walk, so they'd put him in the cart, and he would sit there, and they would kind of push him around, and they said, there was no such thing as a quick trip to the grocery store if dad was with us. Because when dad went with us, we found our way on the outside and the, the man that was serving the Chinese food to us, he had to stop and talk to him and ask him how that situation was with his son and what was going on. Was that thing getting any better? And then they found their way to the round to the deli and the deli lady, he had to ask what was going on. Was just, is, a hus is your husband, is he better? Are things going okay? How's it on the home front? And then he goes, then we got around to the butcher and he had to, he knew the butcher by name too. And so everything was a conversation. He just, he wanted to share what God was doing in his life, but he also just wanted to take an interest in others. They said these last few months, almost 90% of the time, it was not odd. It was not unusual. They'd walk into the room, and a nurse was asking them about that conversation they had about God the day before, and, and would you pray for me, and this, th and, and they were just having these, these moments, and they said this was a way of life for him. Before 30 years ago, uh, when he worked for, he, over 30 years, worked for PG&E, when Tom showed up and they thought he was just coming to fix the gas line, they said he didn't do it in a weird way. It was very natural, just conversational. But he said often it would turn into a conversation about what God had done for him. And it would lead that person oftentimes into his coming to his church where he went to church. And then it led them into relationship with Jesus. And it changed that person's life, changed the whole family's life. There was just story after story of him living out what we're seeing in this text today how much the Lord had done for him because he really had given everything of his life to God no matter the results, no matter what happened. Maybe the most touching story, I didn't share this in the first service, was on the night of his honeymoon when he and his wife 
came together in that hotel suite or whatever it was. They both, he had them both kneel down beside their bed and they consecrated their marriage and their future family to God. They said, God, this is yours. This is your marriage. And the kids and grandkids we will have, they're your kids and they're your grandkids. And he just lived a life telling what God had done for them, an amazing man. But as we go on in the story, Jesus' work isn't done. It's just getting started. Immediately more crowds descend upon Jesus and needs are pressed up against him again. So we pick things up in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. When one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is a leader falling at the feet of Jesus. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there. The needs are getting greater. Who had been a subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And some of you know what this lady is experiencing. It may be different. The diagnosis may be different, but you've been through many trips to the doctor, and you spent your max deductible, and you've done it a couple years in a row, and, and, and it just seems like every time you go, you get bad news, and it seems to get worse, and it feels hopeless. And that's where this lady was. She was at a place of desperation, so she interrupts what's going on, and she, and she touches his clothes that she would be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples asked what the rest of us are thinking, the obvious. They say, You see these people crowding against you? His disciples answer. And you answer, who touched me? I mean, who? Jesus, everyone's touching you. Do you not see the crowds around you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So many needs, so many things going on, and it's like, Jesus, there's only so much time, there's only so much space, so much energy, and I, I just look at this passage here, and there's several things that kind of jumped out to me, some observations. And one of those observations for, for me with both this woman and Jairus was that they were so desperate that their faith kicked in. They were so desperate that that's when their faith met their desperation. And friends, sometimes and many times, many of you probably came to Jesus in that way. You didn't come to Jesus on the mountaintop. You didn't come when you were, had all the distractions of all the wonderful things going on in your life. You came to Jesus when you were in the valley and when you had nowhere to look but up 
and all the distractions were removed and you were desperate. Friends, it's not always a bad place to be in a place of desperation. For often in the place of desperation is where we meet Jesus and where we can begin to go up and look up. I also think in this story how Jesus knew amongst all this crowd, he knew that he had been touched. He knew that power had gone out from him. And it reminds us that Jesus knows everything. Even the sins, the sins that you and I commit, there is no sin that escapes the sight of God. There's nothing that escapes him. And at the same time, there's no amount of faith too small that escapes him either. This should both convict us and comfort us. You cannot sin and escape the sight of God, but also the smallest faith moves God. We talked a few weeks ago about the faith as small as a mustard seed. You have, if you have it in, a hand, in your hand, you can barely even see it. God is moved by faith. In fact, there's one thing that moves God. It's faith. And then I looked at the story through Jarius, this synagogue leader. And if I'm honest, you may not see it the same way as I see it, but I was trying to put my mind and in, in, in my feet in his shoes. And I was thinking, if I'm Jarius, I'm ticked. I'm mad because I have a 12-year-old little girl, and you can be healed later. You've already dealt with this for 12 years, but if Jesus doesn't get here, she's going to die, and my need seems to be more pressing than yours, so can we get on with this? In the midst of all that, Jesus stops what he's doing. He heals this woman, and then this man receives this bad news. It's too late. Jesus didn't get there in time. Sorry. Don't bother him anymore. He's dead. Sometimes I wonder if we feel that way or if you've ever felt that way, like God's answering everyone else's prayers, but not yours. That God sees everyone else's needs, but he's not seeing your need. And your needs are great. And God, why didn't you, why did you help? That? It's like, do they have a direct line to God that I don't have? Why does it seem that you answered their prayer, but I prayed over and over and over, and it seems like my prayer is never answered. And on the other side of the coin, I think there's times where we're going, you know, God, I have nothing to complain about. There's, people have so many worse things going on in their life, and so I just shouldn't trouble you with this. You know, this is, this is small stuff. But I'm reminded, and we're reminded here in this story, that nothing is too small for God. God doesn't look at the lady and say, hey, I got bigger fish to fry there's more important things, can't you see? I'll deal with you later, or maybe we'll help later. No, he stops. He stops in his tracks because every person matters to God. Every need matters to him. He loves every person equally, and so he stops what he's doing. Now, we know that Jesus has some things that, uh, to advantage that are, are above ours, and that's one is he's God. We're not. He's not limited by time and space. He, he knows the f past, future, present. He sees, he sees the big picture. He, we know that his ways, God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. We walk through this life with a horse like blinders on, and, and all we can see is kind of right in front of us. But God sees the whole picture. We see this little 70, 80, 90 years of life that we have. God sees all of eternity. So what stresses us out and bothers us because all we can see is right in front of us and it's not that it's not big. He knows it's big to us and he cares about those things. But he sees the whole picture. He sees a thousand years from now. So God's just kind of chill about things. 
because he kind of understands. Not kind of understands, he understands. And yet here we have Jairus who was told, why bother? It's hopeless. No situation is hopeless with God, and Jesus demonstrates that when he heals this little girl. He raises her from the dead, brings her to life, says she was just sleeping. And we get this fairy tale ending. Who doesn't like the good endings? We all like it when we get the miracles. We all like the good endings. Uh, no one votes against that. We all like good innings. This Tuesday when we were flying back around Southwest Airline, the cattle car, and I like the cattle car because um, it's usually cheaper, and, but they also give free movies. And so I was put on a movie, and if I'm honest today, self-admittedly, it was a little, bit of a, a little bit of a chick flick, not completely a chick flick. And so I know I lose some respect from the men today, and I hope you'll get some back from me in a moment. Um, but, but ladies, I mean, we, we know like how Hallmark is supposed to, you know, how it's supposed to figure out and finish out. We know, ladies, right? I mean, not we know, like I know with you. Ladies, you know. I got that right in first service, got it wrong in second service. Not we as in we, but you ladies, you understand, we like good endings. So I'm watching this movie, and it's getting kind of, it looks like it's going to go bad, but we know how it's going to end. It's going to end good because that's how it should end. And we get down to the end of the movie, and the guy dies. There's no together. There's no married. There's no happily ever after. He dies. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm ticked at this point. I'm saying, I just wasted an hour and 40 minutes of my time. What kind of sicko writer writes a script that doesn't have a good ending? We like the good endings. We all love the good endings. We love the miracles. We don't always get them, though. You may be saying, great stories, Kent, but how does this apply to me? Great stories, Mark. These are wonderful that turned out great for these three stories, but how are we to respond when we're praying and our prayers go unanswered, our hopes run hollow, our dreams are dashed? What is our response to be? And I believe our response is found in the very next verse, Mark 5, 36. Jerry had just been told, don't bother. It's no use. There is no hope. And overhearing, Jesus overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Okay, yeah, easy to say for Jairus because his daughter was raised to life and she was healed. Easy for this woman of 12 years of bleeding because she was healed. Easy for this demon possessed. Easy for them to say. Easy for Jairus but Jesus tells this to Jairus before he heals. I mean, his, da his daughter's dead to him. It's hopeless. And Jesus says, not after he heals his daughter, but before he says, don't be afraid, just believe. That's your response. That's your responsibility. God is God. We're not. We, he calls the shots. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is don't be afraid, just believe. We have Several illustrations of that today. I think of our friend Paul Mendoza, who's been in this church forever. Uh, if, you, you just, if you don't know him, it's because you haven't been around very long. But Paul's been here forever, uh, retired law enforcement officer, great man of God. And he and Bev, a year and a half or so ago, uh, got the diagnosis, stage four cancer. It was during the height of the pandemic, and he kept getting these infections. Every time you check in with him, he's like, I can't start chemo yet because I have this infection. I can't start chemo yet because I have this infection. By the time 
it had settled down and, and the infection had gone and he was able to go to the, the doctor and they were going to be able to do something, the doctor's like, I can't explain it, but we don't see any cancer. We don't even need to do chemo. It's gone. There's nothing. And we, we celebrated that day because we love the miracles and we love the good endings. And we praise God for that because we believe in a God that can heal. But what about my friend Tom? Tom has, I know, I know both men, Tom has the same faith that Paul had. Tom's been healed in a different way. He's with Jesus today. But why, why is one prayer answered? Why is the other prayer not? That the, there was different results in their faith and in their prayers, but their response was the same. They were going to choose faith over fear. They were going to choose to not be afraid, to just believe that they were. And, and I, I, it's kind of a little different. I've never done this at a graveside before, but the daughter said, my dad had two requests, only two, and he promised that we'd keep the second one. The first one is that you'd be out here with a suit on. <laughs> and so I obliged that. The second one was, and, and this is where they said, We've, we just want you to know this was not our idea. Dad promised us. He made us make a promise that we would do this. And so I did a first that I've never done before. We closed that graveside service with this particular song. Another one bites the dust. Every single word, every single chorus, by the time the song was over, everyone's laughing. Everyone knows Tom. Tom was not afraid of death. Tom would say these last few weeks, it is what it is. He knew that he had something greater waiting for him, and so he wanted, he didn't want it to be a, a sad thing or a sorrowful thing. He wanted it to be a celebration, and he thought, hey, I'll shock them all, and he did. He shocked them all to his daughter's chagrin. I think his son loved it. His daughters were just like head in their hands, but you know, it was because he's not afraid. Same faith, same response. Our response is as believers, as followers of Jesus, is we're, we're called to choose faith over fear. And I say all throughout this book, that's what, that's what we're called to do. We're called to trust. We're called to believe. We're, even when it doesn't make sense, we're called to believe. We're, we're called to trust a God who is sovereign, a God who has everything in his power and control. And then to just tell everyone what God's done for us. I know Paul Mendoza has been telling people what God has done for him, and we celebrate that. Tom also is celebrating and sharing what God had done for him. This is a special verse to my family, to the Price side, to my mom's side. My grandfather was a southeast Kansas farmer, moved from the panhandle of Texas, actually felt there was just as much of a calling that maybe a pastor feels. He felt a calling reading Scripture to move from Texas to move his family to Southeast Kansas, Cherryville, Kansas, Independence, Kansas. And uh, about six years after retiring, my standards, Tom was young, 71. My grandpa was young, 74. And around Christmas in 1983, he began to act weird, a little funny. And in January, when he walked into that hospital, St. Francis in Wichita, he, he dragged his body in there. He dragged the right side. His right side of his body was not working. And, and he knew something was wrong. And he always, uh, throughout his life, he wrote promises that God had given him. And he wrote it in the back of his Bible. And 
uh, all of us have copies of that today. We have copies of all the promises that God gave him. The last one that he wrote, the last thing that his hand was able to write with that right hand and then no longer worked, the last thing he was able to write was, be not afraid, only believe. Mark 5.36. Emergency surgery followed in that January uh, they said that the tumor was the size of a grapefruit or the size of an orange. I don't remember what it was, but it was the size of a fruit. They weren't able to get it all. They were able to get half of it. And they came back and said, sorry, we have bad news. It's malignant. We were only able to get half of it. And you're probably going to have six months or so to live. He had a little church in Independence, Kansas that loved him and they, he loved them. And someone organized an all-night prayer vigil. And those people, they, they gathered all night to pray and pray through the night. And when he went back to the doctor a few days later, the doctor said, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm the one that operated. I saw this, but I'm looking at his scan, and there is absolutely no sign of any tumor. It is completely gone. He has been healed. And we were like praising the Lord. We're clapping. We're like, we were just like, we get to have our grandpa. We get to have papa for a, a long time now. And God has healed, and we're praising him. But I'd love to say the story finished that way. But a month or so, maybe just about a month went by, and he went up for a follow-up scan, and that tumor had returned. And in July of 1984, my papa, who to a 12-year-old boy was his hero, the southeast Kansas farmer who today, whether in China, California, Nashville, Chicago, Kansas City, Hutchison, his 40 descendants are following Jesus today because of a man, a Southeast Kansas farmer, who told people what God had done for him and would tell people when he came in. In fact, there's a few times that we would come in in the morning to see how he was doing. He'd been with by himself all night. And his words were, sometimes God's spirit comes so thick in the night and so powerful and so overwhelms me. I have to tell him to leave. I have to tell him to go because I can't take it. And those words have settled in a young boy's heart that's 12, who's now 50. And these words, they're still true. That we're called to be not afraid, to only believe whether the results turn out the way we hoped or the whether the results, the answer is in eternity and the healing comes later. Whichever way our response, what is our response to be? Our response is don't be afraid, just believe. Over 365 times in Scripture, we're told, fear not, be not afraid. Do you think God's trying to get a message across to his children that he loves so much? He doesn't want us to live in fear. He sees the whole picture. He sees a thousand years from now. He knows how it all goes. And he's like, if you just could see what I would see, you would never be afraid another day in your life. But we're human. So this is a daily battle. Sometimes a moment-by-moment battle, a minute-by-minute battle to choose faith over fear. And then just to tell what God has done for us, to be faithful to tell what God has done for us. We are a church that believes in healing. If you're new with us today, we don't do this every Sunday. We do this. We've done it before. But in, in, in the James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said these words, if there's any money among you that is sick, the elders of the church should lay their hands on him and the, the prayer offered in faith will make them well. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song. It's one of my favorites, one of my daughter's favorites, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. 
light in the darkness. You may feel like you're in the darkness. And I'm going to ask the lights to come down a little bit as we pray here in a moment. But I've asked our pastors to come up here. They have uh, oil that's just symbolic of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing magical or holy about it. It's just symbolic of God's Spirit and our, our faith to trust in Him. But we're going to, in this next song, if, if there's a need that you have, and by faith, you don't know what the results, you know, but you know that God has called you in this moment right now to choose faith over fear. That your response, no matter what, is going to be, I'm going to believe and not going to be afraid. And that may be a physical illness. That may be an emotional, that may be a spiritual, that may be a mental. You may be have a legion of anxiety and fear. You may be paralyzed by fear today, but by faith, you coming forward today, we're not, not gonna be long, but we're gonna pray a simple, bold prayer. When I say bold, we're gonna pray to our hopes and not our fears, as my friend Ron Salisbury, who battled prostate cancer for 12 years, would say, when you pray for me, don't pray any wimpy prayers for me, or don't pray at all. When you pray for me, I want you to swing for the fences. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to swing for the fences. We're going to trust God is God. We're going to trust him for the results. We believe that God heals. We don't understand when and how and what, but we do know what he calls our response to be. To be not afraid and only believe. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments that we have together, give us courage give us faith, give us strength. Maybe there's someone here today and they've prayed like this woman for 12 years. They've prayed over and over and over and it feels hopeless, but you are calling them once again to step out in faith and trust in you and believe. Maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe relational, maybe a marriage, maybe spiritual. But God, whatever you call us to, may we respond in faith, choosing to believe that you're a good God who loves us. In Jesus' name.